Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted Social Distancing Style from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz, coming to you from our homes as we have for the past couple of months. Weston, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. Now I'm depressed and you said that we've been here for the last couple of months. I mean, technically that's accurate, but it doesn't make it any easier to digest. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, late last week, we heard from the Packers three coordinators, defense coordinator Mike Pettin, offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, and special teams coordinator Sean Menenga. They did a media session over Zoom. A uh, chance to for lots of the Green Bay Media Corps to ask some questions, get the updates on where they're at with things with the virtual offseason program and all of that. Um, I'll just throw it out to you, Wes. I'll leave it wide open for you. What was your biggest takeaway, uh, the strongest impression that uh, anyone made as far as uh, what they said to you? Well, it was Mike Pettin, and I think everybody wanted to hear what Pett had to say, uh, not only coming off of last year in the NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers, but just in general with where he wants this defense to go now in year three and the challenges that he's going to face uh, with this truncated offseason. Starting off with that NFC title game, first and foremost, this is the big thing I think I was my takeaway from this. We, you cannot just plan for one specific game, one specific opponent. It has to be a full vision of what you want your defense to be. And so when people look at the 2019 NFC Championship game in San Francisco, yeah, everyone's going to look at, well, it didn't go so hot for the Packers there. The run defense didn't hold up. There were challenges that they faced. But at the end of the day, as much as that is the truth, you can't focus on that one performance when you build for 2020 because the 49ers are not going to be the same. The NFL is not going to be the same. And it goes back to something that I wrote about this week in an insider inbox. You, you remember the 2013, 2012-13 playoff game against the 49ers when Colin Kaepernick ran for a ton of yards against Green Bay? Well, they came back in the opener in 13 later that year, and he threw for 400 yards. So right. there's right. always going to be a check and a balance. And I think that's the one thing that Pettin is very much in tune with. And he also said, when you look at this run defense, yeah, there are structural changes they need to make. But he still feels like this personnel, and especially now with Christian Kirksey coming in at inside linebacker, that's going to give the Green Bay Packers what they need in order to, to take that next step. Yeah, the biggest thing I took away from Pettin's comments is, you know, he's not going to change what the defense is. He's, it's not going to be some wholesale change just based on one performance. I right. think he obviously said they were lacking in the execution, the effort, the energy, all of those kinds of things. It wasn't their day, and it was their worst performance at the worst possible time. But Mike Pettin is not going to change who the Packers are on defense. He's not suddenly going to make the run defense a bunch of two-gapping, laterally moving guys up front. He still wants to attack. He still wants to control the line of scrimmage. And I think as much as it's on the players that obviously things went wrong out there on the field. I think he he's taking his share of the blame himself in terms of not emphasizing the run defense principles that got away from them at the end of the season there in, in the championship game. So he said, Hey, this is a performance. Everybody has to own it. We can't run from it. And he's talking about coaches and players and everybody. But as you said, this is not about completely changing the defensive identity right. and changing who you are based on one performance. It's about emphasizing things, getting buttoned down in certain areas that obviously things went wrong at the wrong time. But um, 
Mike Pettin believes in his scheme. He believes in this defense and, uh, and with the players he has coming back and obviously you're swapping out Kirksey for Martinez in the middle of it all, but with all the players that are coming back, the experience that everybody's gained in the system, he has confidence that this defense is going to get back to where it was when it was peaking in 2019. Well, and he mentioned that too. I mean, this defense and this team won 14 games last year. So you don't just throw out right. the baby with the bathwater and just restart. I mean, you got to build off of what you did well and improve on where you fell short. That's where his main objective is going to be. And he laid out some of the preliminary plans for that already. He said, you know, you can't have Kenny Clark playing 83% of the defensive snaps. You have to pick your poison with him. Do you want him in there on third downs rushing and going after the passer? Or do you want him in there every first and second down trying to defend the run? When you got a guy like Clark that can do so many things well, it's appetizing to just want to put him on the field as much as possible. The Packers can't do that. They need to be more multiple. He talked about a guy like Kingsley Kiki. Their fifth round pick last year out of Texas Tech, or Texas A&M, excuse me. He feels like that's a guy that can get into that rotation and take some snaps off of Clark and Lowry. There is a law of diminishing returns with defensive linemen in this league. Yeah. Clark has still played above that, but you need to be able to give those guys rest. You have a good transition and a, and a rotation going right now at outside linebacker. He mentioned, despite the fact that they did lose Kyler Fackrell, he feels like this is still the, the best and the, the most deep you know, core of outside edge rushers that he's ever had as a defensive coordinator in the NFL. He believes Rashawn Gary needs to take another step and they want to give him the opportunities to do so. And then certainly there's a lot to figure out with the secondary yet, who's going to be holding down nickel corner. But overall, with the additions that they made last year and some of the improvements that now they want to make this year, that's why Petten really does believe that where they stand right now can be a championship caliber defense. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think I think he really wants to focus on the fact that he doesn't want Kenny Clark, Zadarius Smith, and Preston Smith right. to all be playing 85, roughly, percentage of the snaps on defense. He wants to share the workload a little bit more. It's a long season. Every game itself is a long game, but it's a long season, especially if you're trying to make a playoff run. So all that factors into the plans for 2020 and trying to see some young players rise up, take on more responsibility, take on larger roles, to lessen the burden on some of those veteran guys who really carried the load last year. Um, moving on, offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. I think the thing that struck me the most, and he's always very entertaining when he talks. He's got, you know, a, a, I guess a, a bubbly personality for, for lack of a better phrase off the top of my head. But he's very entertaining when he talks, and I thought it was interesting. The question that he answered about the Packers being in year two of the offensive system, but, you know, having to deal with this virtual off season. And you could almost see the look on his face as though like, Oh my gosh, I can't imagine if we were trying to do this in year one, you yeah. know, which there are some teams in the league who are doing that. Mike McCarthy with the Cowboys, yeah. other head coaches who have gotten new jobs and they've had to work on trying to implement their systems without getting their guys on the field. But Coach Hackett is very, very glad that, uh, that the Packers did what they did in year one, and now they're dealing with the challenges in year two as opposed to having to go through that last year. Yeah, and Nathaniel mentioned, I mean, he has some friends in the teaching profession, and he actually reached out to them to get some pointers on how they were going to be able to do these exercises over Zoom, over recorded meetings, uh, because he said, you know, so many times you just get up and you give your speech, for better or for worse, it lives in a you know, dies in that moment, you just move on with your life. Well, in this particular case, in those, some of those pre-recorded team meetings that they have, you have to sit there and look at yourself and you got to judge yourself and you got to learn from those experiences. And he said, you know, they've talked about trying to find ways to make it more interactive and fun for the players. 
based on what Aaron Rodgers said last week, it sounds like they've been largely successful with that. Certainly we're going to get a chance here soon enough to talk to some of these other players uh, to get their perception of it. But the thing I loved about Hackett's uh, response, in addition to the realization that if you're a rookie coach right now, man, you're really up the creek uh, trying to in- institute yeah. your scheme in this environment. But even more than that, it's just his overall enthusiasm for this offense and where things could go in year two. I think they laid a blueprint last year. They didn't check every box. Matt LaFleur has been open and honest about that. But they did lay a blueprint of where they believe this group can go. Now they have a very deep and very versatile backfield that they've built you have a guy like Josiah DeGuara coming in who knows what he could potentially be in this offense and then by the way Devontae Adams is still the receiver David Bakhtiari is still your left tackle Corey Lindsley still your center and obviously Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are still in that equation as well there are a lot of returning pieces for this Packers offense in addition to QB1 so all those things put together you can just kind of get a sense for what he feels like this upside is going to be for this group trying to build upon some of those principles that they put in place and also looking probably a little bit more like the offense that Matt LaFleur envisions now moving into 2020. Yeah. And I almost wonder just because of the limitations of the off season and the fact that everything has been, been virtual to this point, I'm not sure how much they're going to be able to implement in terms of their changes and the things they want to tweak and adjust and everything along the way right now. But I think we might see the Packers offense in the 2020 season when the actual season gets going you might see more of those adjustments along the way. It, it may be just a more a, a matter of, of spreading them out, so to speak, in the calendar in terms of some of the changes and, and where you want to go with some things. Just my own speculation there, just because I can't imagine you can, you can try to implement all of the changes you want to make to the playbook in a year two of a system when you're not getting the players out there to at least do, you know, get them together to do walk through 11 on 11, even half three quarter speed, um, you know, when that, when that's not an option. So, but definitely a lot of optimism for where this offense can go in year two special teams coordinator, Sean Menninga. I wanted to uh, touch on his comments as well. I think the thing that stood out to me about him is almost the relief that he has that he's going into his second season as the special teams coordinator, knowing who his return man is because the Packers did not have a return game really on punts or kickoffs until Tyler Irvin showed up in December. He became a free agent at the end of the season. The Packers re-signed him. He is back. And I think Coach Menenga is very, very happy that he's heading into 2020 knowing who his return man is on punts and kickoffs. Well, and just the overall stability, right, Spoff? I mean, you got Mason Crosby back. Uh, that would have been a huge hole if the Packers were unable to re-sign him, especially with right. how, <clears throat> excuse me, this. you look and see how this league has been with the kicking position here the last two seasons. When you have a good one, you want to keep them. But Crosby has been in this position before. They drafted J.K. Scott. You drafted Hunter Bradley. You expect those specialists to be able to be the players that you want them to be. And then you got a guy like Tyler Irvin, who basically came out of nowhere last year to rescue those return units. And Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekunst, they both discussed it even before free agency began. The Packers wanted to find a way to bring back Irvin, and they did. And now you got a dynamic playmaker that could potentially help you in that backfield situation, but more than anything gives you a, a two-way kickoff and punt returner. I think there's something to be said for that, Mike. In this league, it's becoming increasingly specialized. You can be a kickoff returner, you can be a punt returner, but you don't always play both of those units. Micah Hyde was a phenomenal punt returner, wasn't really used that much on kickoff returns. Jeff Janis, 
solid kickoff returner. Didn't really handle punts that often. Right. To have a guy like Irvin that can do both and be explosive in both different facets of a play that is much different on different sides of the spectrum, that's a real find for the Green Bay Packers. And just to be able to have that confidence, you've got to kind of remember what life was like for Green Bay in October and just the uncertainty every time fourth down came and, and not really knowing, okay, one, are you going to be able to get any yards? And two, are you going to be able to maintain possession of the ball? Tyler Irvin alleviated all of that. So to, to get him back in the fold, it's not going to be nationally a huge thing that's going to register on everybody's radar, but especially with an off season where you're not going to be able to learn a lot about what these return, you know, these receivers and, and running backs can do as returners. There's a real benefit to having a guy like Tyler Irvin back in the fold and giving Sean Meninga after last year, having so many question marks, getting to know his special teams unit for the first time, a little bit of a security blanket there in knowing what Irvin is capable of. Yeah, and just to recap the statistics quickly, when Irvin stepped in as the Packers punt returner in December, for the season, the Packers had negative punt return yards. And then over the final month, he averaged 9.6 yards per punt return on 11 returns, which was really, really impressive. And then on kickoffs, he had a 45-yard kickoff return in one game, which was the Packers' longest kickoff return since Jeff Janis had a 47-yarder in 2015. So it's not overstating it to say that he really sparked and saved the, the, the Packers return units in 2019. All right, Wes, a couple other things we want to touch on today. Story that uh, I posted yesterday on the website. Every once in a while, you and I get an opportunity to tell the story of an undrafted rookie that the Packers bring in and sort of tell his long shot story uh, of how he, you know, is taking this this tough road to try to land a roster spot with the Green Bay Packers. And Mark Antoine DeCoy, hopefully I'm saying that correctly. I've had to spell it while I've been writing it. But uh, um, he is a 25-year-old Canadian rookie. And I tell you, Wes, you and I have both been doing this for a long time. Every once in a while, you dig into a story a little bit. You get to you You find out about somebody. You get a chance to talk to them. And this is a story that just, that just captivates me from so many angles because it's such an improbable, unlikely story that, and I, I don't even know if I can recap it all here, but <laughs> three of his first four years out of high school, he didn't play any football. Then when he does return to the game of football, he ends up becoming one of the more decorated players in the Canadian college game. He gets a very prestigious for the on the Canadian side gets a prestigious invite to a college all-star game in the U.S. They only hand out two of those to Canadian players. He goes to the East-West Shrine game. He's practicing all week with a cast on a broken forearm because he had broken his forearm in the Canadian National Championship game playing for his uh, his Montreal University of Montreal team. So he practices all week with a cast on his broken forearm. They don't let him play in the actual East-West Shrine game. He goes back to Canada and ends up having a pro day to try to get some more attention from NFL scouts. He's only the second player in the history of his school to even have a pro day. He, act, he has like not coronavirus, but some sort of bronchitis or respiratory flu type of thing. And he runs a 4-3-5 on his pro day. So suddenly this generates, you know, a certain amount of interest and the Packers end up landing him as an undrafted rookie 
um, following the draft. And now he's part of the virtual offseason program. He's in Canada. He's still working out, communicating by computer, just like you and I are doing with his teammates and coaches and all that. And this guy is going to try, a 25-year-old rookie from Canada is going to try to make the Green Bay Packers roster. I just think it's fascinating. Yeah, it was a phenomenal story that he has personally. I thought you told it exceptionally well in the story, the written story. Uh, the thing I love about it too, and I, I told you about this, the, the moment I read the story, his line about I'm the underdog of underdogs, it really spoke yeah. to me because we do tell a lot of these stories. His reminded me the most of Taysom Hill, if I can use that expression, you know, out of these last five years that we've been doing these, I've been doing these with you. You know, Hill was a 27-year-old rookie or whatever that number was where he right. did his mission and then he got hurt right. and he kept, you know, having to get delayed. And it was just that type of adversity in response to it. This is a young man's game. No question about it. You, you, there's a reason why we talk about Jonathan Garvin the way we do at 20. And we talked about, you know, Kenny Clark the way we did when he entered the league at 20. But every once in a while, you get these guys that are in their mid-20s, or in Taysom Hill's case, late 20s, that become real interesting NFL prospects. And Decoy fits all of those measurables. It's not that he just was a tall defensive back, six foot three, 198 pounds. No, it's that he ran a three, four, three, five, 40 time. It's that, you know, he had ball hawking abilities that he showed at that level. And I've said this once I've said it a thousand times. It's something I believe Elliot Wolf was the one that said this. I know a lot of GMs and personnel executives go towards this. If you're competing at a level of football, that is not you know, the SEC or the Big Ten, what, what scouts want to see from you is dominance. They want to see, you know, spouts of greatness. Uh, it's the reason why they went and signed Reggie uh, Begleton, now the, the receiver out of Calgary uh, from the CFL, and right. now he's going to be in camp with them. And Decoy fits that mantra. He's a guy that just stood out amongst his peers. And then, by the way, it's not like he was supposed to be this absolute stud. He went back to football and he became a really good football player. Now, we're going to have to see exactly how the summer plays out. I don't know what the travel restrictions, if, if players do come in, where he's going to be at with Canada. Right. But all that being said, you can tell the Packers really like this guy, and this is someone that they're not just looking at as a camp body. This is a guy that really they could develop. He might take time. He might be raw. But, man, when you see the measurables and you see his production and how he did it and the circumstances under which he performed, my goodness, Mike. He has everything you look for in a really good undrafted free agent prospect. Yeah, yeah, and it's worth pointing out a couple of other numbers too. One, he was actually chosen 14th overall in the CFL draft. So this is a this is a guy that uh, that the Canadian Football League certainly had their eye on. He's a very high pick in that draft, but he's focusing on trying to make it in the NFL first and foremost. And the other thing is, over his last three seasons at the University of Montreal, West. He intercepted, including playoff games, he intercepted 12 passes. He took half of those to the house, six pick sixes out of his 12 interceptions. I mean, statistically, it's, it's, it's almost mind-boggling, but whichever part of the story of his you want to latch onto, there are a lot of different intriguing points of entry, so to speak, to this story. I just think it's a, it's a really fun one. You want to check it out on the website. I'm sure there are some more details in there. That, uh, that I wasn't able to recap here. And, and please do check it out. And one other thing I want to mention too, that's going to work towards Mark Antoine's benefit here. Uh, you wrote in there, one of my good friends, I don't often say that about pro athletes, but a guy I consider a good friend, Andy Malumba, he actually reached out to him. Malumba from that area in Montreal where his family came from and, and immigrated to and got a little bit of a feel for Green Bay and what to expect in the NFL. 
The one advantage that Mark Antoine has, though, that Andy didn't, Andy had to learn English. He went to Eastern Michigan having to learn the English language. DeCoy has done that. It's maybe not perfect, but as a bilingual speaker, I mean, that's going to make his development process so much easier, too, being able to have that level of communication. Yeah, he is a native French speaker, but his English his English is quite good. And and I having the the phone interview, phone conversation with him, uh, you know, was cer- certainly wasn't a struggle in that respect. And uh, yeah, I think in that res- in in that area, he'll uh, he'll get along just fine. Okay, Wes, one more thing before we go. It sounds like, and it could be as soon as today, not long after uh, this episode posts to our website that the NFL owners are potentially voting on a radical change to the onside kick, providing potentially providing teams an option of a fourth and 15 play from their own 25 yard line in lieu of an onside kick to try to keep possession of the ball after a score. Um, I think you and I are both in agreement on this. I don't like it. I don't think you like it either. Um, we'll see what happens. I'm not overly confident that it's going to pass, but it sounds like it is coming up for a vote and we'll see what happens. Well, and we'll see what happens on Thursday with this. Um, when the, the league ownership in their virtual meeting is going to take a real look at this. It did get shot down last year. It does sound like it has more momentum now though. Mm-hmm. So there, there are two things that are pl- play with here because we'll discuss if this gets enacted next week, I'm sure we'll be doing a portion of our show actually debating the merits of this. Sure. But what ultimately is at play is the rule changes that they made with the kickoffs two years ago with having even sides, not allowing teams to overload, it wiped out really the traditional onside kick attempt. You saw percentages go from about 20% success rate in 2017 to only about 7.5% if you take out what Atlantic kicker, um, I believe it's you. Yuku, I forget his name. I'm sorry, but the, yeah, the good luck kick- with that. I don't remember. Thanks. How to I tried either. though, right? I actually yeah. went for it. Yeah. Um, but that trick shot kicker that Atlanta had that made three in one game last year. The if you take out kicker. that, it was only eight of 106 attempts the last two years. It's just right. become so difficult. The league ownership yep. and also the competition committee is trying to find ways to make that play. Obviously, staying with the idea of player safety, but also make it more exciting. I have. Pretty strong feelings on this. I, I, my personal thought is it's a special teams play. I don't know why you want to pull the offense and defense into it. Special teams has had so much rip from it over the last 10 years. Give it something. Let's innovate on that play. But that being said, what would happen is a fourth and 15 play from the team's own 25-yard line, an option that they could enact twice a game. Doesn't matter if they're trailing or not. But obviously, if you don't get the first down, the opposing team picks up at the spot of the ball. It percentages wise, the competition committee says it's comparable. I still wonder if they're factoring in the chances and probability of a penalty on that play. Right. There's a lot bigger yep. chance for a penalty on an offensive and defensive possession than there is on an onside kick. A lot of times they end up swallowing the whistle on an onside kick unless it's an offsides. Right. So we're going to see what the competition committee has to say about this, but it's a very interesting measure. The league is taking a hard look at trying to create maybe a little bit more of an opening uh, on that play for teams to potentially get the ball back late. Yeah. I think this is going to be interesting to see what happens. And uh, we're running up against the clock here today, but as you said, if this does become a new rule in the NFL, we can certainly continue the discussion. Yeah. We'll continue the discussion (laughs) another time, but for now we will call it a wrap on this edition of Packers unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team here through the virtual off season program on Packers.com. Thank you for tuning in, tuning in everybody.
For Wes, I am Mike. Take care. We'll see you next time.